everyone. Good morning. We had winter camp two weeks ago, and I can tell you one thing. It was absolutely terrifying, uh, but it was really good. Um, I can tell you my, my biggest fail of ministry so far is I didn't tell students to pack towels. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did not put that on the list. So that was fun to deal with for a couple days. I had a van break down on Highway 18. I had a leader get pulled over on the way back. He didn't get a ticket. Best part about it, no students were with him. So we're good there. Uh, but through all of that, uh, I can tell you that the Holy Spirit was there uh, at camp. Um, I've been a part of a lot of camps. It's the first one that I've ever been in charge of, which is absolutely terrifying. Uh, but it was so, so good. Uh, two things about camp that just really, really stood out to me. There were a ton of young men there who just wanted more of Jesus, uh, which was really, really cool to see. Uh, they, were, they were all in worshiping, uh, just, just full, fully devoted to experiencing what God had for them that weekend. And then also, uh, because of you, because of your investment in our ministries here at MRCC, because how much you guys uh, care, we were able to um, fully invest and take care of our leaders uh, so they didn't have any cost. And, and we also sent more than 10 kids fully scholarshiped to camp, which is amazing. So I just want to say thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart, because uh, honestly, we could not do this without our church body. So on a different note, I get to do announcements today. Uh, if you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Tyler. I'm the youth pastor here. Um, but coming up uh, this weekend, I have uh, a few announcements. But coming up next weekend, excuse me, uh, is FPU. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's Financial Peace University. Dave Ramsey runs it. Uh, he tells you all the things that you shouldn't buy. I should probably take that class because I buy all the things that he tells me not to. Except for a house. I haven't been able to pull that one off yet. But I did buy, like, cars and stuff. And so I'll probably get in trouble for that if I ever meet him one day. <clears throat> it is $20. You can register online. It will be in the sanctuary. Uh, the bulletin says room 105, but it'll be here. It's also a weekend. We're not doing a bunch of classes. So it's going to be a short, condensed, like, conference workshop. Uh, we hope that you can make it to that. Coming up in a couple weeks is Elevate, our spring kids conference. It is at Sunset Lake in Wilkeson. The cost is $60, and you do need to register your child online. Also coming up a couple weeks after that, just to put a little, put a little bug in your ear, is uh, our women's, Northwest Ministry Network Women's Conference. It is in Life Center, Tacoma. Uh, we do need registrations as soon as possible because hotel rooms and everything like that, that's how we just coordinate that. Uh, Pastor Bre Greg is bringing the word today uh, in first service. I said doing the word, and it was really weird. And I just want to address, I don't know how to make this transition because it's really awkward. And so I just told him, I was like, I'm going to embrace the awkwardness and tell everyone that we know that these transitions are awkward. So I didn't say do the word, though. Go away, Tyler. Would you just go away? Yeah, he's, he invited me to come up and do the word, so we let him know that that's going to live forever. Uh, that will just never, never, ever go away. But it's good to see you this morning. Welcome. It's good to be in church. Good to be part of God's family. And 
And I just want to echo what Tyler said, church. So many of us give so faithfully and serve so faithfully, and that's what makes all these ministries happen. You know, I came down here on Wednesday night, and we, we don't have our adult study on Wednesday night because we don't have room, but once this kid's building gets built, we'll be able to do that again. But I was down here this last Wednesday night, just a normal Wednesday, and across the campus of MRCC, there were 184 kids experiencing Jesus. Just think about that. And can we appreciate all the people who serve to make that happen? I mean, that's... I just walked around saying, thank you, Lord, and, and this is cool, God. And wow, isn't it amazing to do this together? So thank you to everyone who gives and serves so faithful. It makes so many things, uh, so many things happen. Hey, it, listen, uh, and welcome to everybody online. I'm always supposed to say that. I forget sometimes, so please forgive me, but it's great to have you with us this morning also in Second Service. Grab your Bible, if you would, church, and open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. And we're going to continue this, this road trip with Jesus that we've set ourselves on in, in 2023. You remember at the beginning we said, you know, the Lord continually warns us there's a lot of fake Jesuses, a lot of not real talk about him, and that um, it's when we seek him that we find the reality. And so we said because of that, we're going to spend this, this year, most of it anyway, walking all the way through Luke's gospel and kind of involving the other Gospels as we go, but Luke is chronological. And so we've been doing that since the beginning of January. Here we are in Luke chapter 4 this morning. So if you want to open your Bible there to chapter 4, verse 1. And while you're doing that, let me ask for a show of hands this morning. How many of us are those people that really do not dig spiders? Go ahead and put your hands up. Yeah, there's a lot of us, aren't there? It's not me. I don't have a problem with my son, though. He is not about spiders. And some of the most glorious moments of my raising him is putting rubber spiders in his bed and showing him pictures of spiders and stuff like that because you know he just kind of has a spider hang up and and if that's you then this slide might might get to you a little bit yeah actually the next slide is a better picture um, this is uh, the most common spider in california uh, there's a reason I'm telling you that. We'll get to it in a moment. But first, I just want you to visualize, on average, this particular species of spider grows to about six to eight inches long. Okay, they can leap about a foot, if you're wondering. So, uh, so while you're thinking about that, while you're processing that, uh, let me just tell you that, you know, when I was stationed down there in the Marines, we would go out into the desert every year, and we would do desert training. And so we'd spend a week out there on maneuvers and camping out and so on. Well... The first year that we went, uh, uh, the second or third night that we were camping out in the desert, we spread out all of our tents and our sleeping bags and stuff like that. And as it turned out, one of the guys in my company spread out his tent and sleeping bag over a giant spider ward, these burrows that are underground, right? And he didn't know it and we didn't know it. And we found out about it in the middle of the night when he started screaming like a 10-year-old girl, and, and literally hundreds, there may have been thousands of these spiders came boiling up out of his tent and just went crazy everywhere. And, you know, if you think that the U.S. military is impervious and can handle anything, you should have seen our camp that night. These guys, guys were waking up. And, but, but here's the irony of the story. Here's the irony. Of that particular breed of spider, which is the most common uh, in California and which is just in the millions and billions in the desert, is completely and totally harmless. 
It's not poisonous. It won't bite you and sting you or hurt you in any way. They're just, they're, they're just totally harmless. And yet, the end of this story is that one of the guys that was part of that spider outbreak that night, when we were supposed to go back into the desert again, he refused to go. He was too freaked out. He was so scared that he actually refused to go, disobeyed an order, and got discharged from the military for it. Uh, afraid of a spider that can't hurt you. <laughs> you know, isn't that, isn't that weird? Isn't that amazing to think? We can become so afraid of harmless things that that fear can control us. Here's why I share this story this morning. We're going to see our father lead his son Jesus into the desert in the passage of scripture that we're in this morning. And that's significant because a lot of times we think that God doesn't lead people into deserts, that God doesn't lead people into times of testing or difficult times, when in fact every good parent knows that's part of raising kids and is committed to doing it in their lives because of our love for our kids. The, the Bible puts it this way in James chapter 1. Here's what Scripture says to us. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, the ability to stick it out, the ability to, to be there till the end testing of your faith develops that perseverance. And perseverance is so valuable. It must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, so that you and I might be able to grow up and experience all the freedom, all the joy, all the wonder of being grown up spiritually. The Bible says we understand that's what the desert's about. And we know as followers of Jesus, that God our Father calls us into the desert sometime. He may be calling you into a time of testing. He may have already led you into a time of testing. If he hasn't, he will. Because that's part of his parenting. And when we watch Jesus be led into the desert like we're going to do this morning, then we begin to understand why God wants to lead us there. So Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. He, the end of chapter 3 tells us that he was baptized, just like all of us are. He was baptized, making a public confession of his faith in God. And like we talked about last week, saying, God, I repent, meaning I want you to change my mind. I want you to grow me. I want you to teach me. We talked about that last week. Jesus did the same thing. And when he was baptized, the scripture says, full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan and was, catch this, church, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. In other words, Jesus was on purpose led into a time of testing. Just let that sink in for a moment. Because good parents will do this. They will lead us into times of testing. I, my, my uncle was a high school teacher in Oregon for 40 years, and he says, you know, teachers and students see testing differently. <laughs> students tend to see testing as an opportunity to fail. He said, but as teachers, we always see it as an opportunity to graduate and to move on to the next thing. And we don't give tests because we're trying to see who fails. We give tests because we want the joy of seeing them graduate and move on. 
You know, Matthew's even more pointed in his gospel, chapter 4, verse 1, he puts it this way. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Wow, that's mind-blowing. We tend to assume that God doesn't lead people in deserts because deserts are bad. We sort of have this idea that by definition, God leads us away from deserts. And in fact, we're, we're, we're so deep into that idea that we sometimes think we can know whether God is leading us or not by the quality of the land we find ourselves in. If it's green and lush, it must be God. If it's dry and barren, it must not be God. We must have missed it somewhere along the way. That's what the prosperity gospel, a lie from hell, has done to the Christian faith. But the Bible tells us that no, God the Father deliberately led Jesus into the desert for a time of testing. And he still leads his sons and daughters through deserts to grow us, to test us, to graduate us, to teach us things that set us free to carry out the mission that he calls us to, which is to help him seek and save lost people. You know, we used to go out into that desert, ironically, to learn about our mission as Marines, to get ready to know how to fight, to know how to handle things. And for this one man, young man, his, his fear of something that shouldn't be feared got in the way of his learning the lesson that would have enabled him to be who he wanted to be. And it's the same for us. So when Jesus was led into the desert, as we're going to see, he experienced three tests, three temptations. And the scripture records this for us because the same lessons he learned, God wants us to learn. He wants us to understand because they set the stage for the mission that he's about to embark upon, both for him and for us as well. The Bible says he was led in the desert to be tempted. Verse 2 says he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. In other words, he practiced the denying of his own appetite. This is a big deal because the devil comes to him and says, hey, I know you're hungry. I know you haven't eaten for a long time. I know you have power. You're the son of God. So why don't you turn these stones into bread? The devil comes and tempts me sometimes. He says, I know you got money in your pocket and you live next door to 7-Eleven. Just walk over there and satisfy your cravings. But what I've learned, what I am learning is that what I think I want isn't often what I really want. Church, understand something. It's only when we deny our appetites that we begin to discover what's really going on with our appetites. Now, understand, there's nothing wrong with appetites. God gave them to us. But they aren't meant to control us. We aren't meant to be dominated by them. We aren't meant to be slaves to them. And the devil is coming to Jesus and tempting him to surrender to his appetites. Uh, understand that Jesus goes out there to fast, not from duty. There's no commandment that says, thou shalt go into the desert and fast. There isn't one. And in fact, later on, Jesus is going to say, food doesn't bring you closer to God or separate you from God. Said, what goes into a man's stomach goes out other parts of him. He says, it's what comes out of your spirit that really matters. Yet he fasts because he knows that in the denying of his appetites, he learns about his appetites. This is something our world, our culture desperately needs to learn. 
Because the idea that's in our culture, that's in our world is whatever appetites you have are meant to be satisfied and surrendered to. And God says, no, 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 no. Your appetites aren't meant, you are more than appetites. You aren't meant to be controlled by them. You're meant to have control over them. So Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to turn stones into bread because God says the man doesn't live by bread alone. In other words, I am more than just an appetite. I am a soul. I am a spirit. I am made to know God and walk with God. Matthew, again, is more specific. He says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, Jesus says to the devil. Let, let me ask you this morning. Have you been tempted to believe that your appetites define you? Maybe you think your sexual appetite defines you. It doesn't. It's a beautiful and good thing God gave us, but it's meant to be controlled by us, not to control us. You know, maybe you think that food is how you will help yourself emotionally. Lots of people do. God says, no, it, it, it can't. No matter how much you eat, it'll never work. In fact, you're not meant to be driven by that appetite. Maybe your appetite... You know, for control, maybe your temper, uh, may, maybe your pride, maybe your, your appetite for revenge. Those are always being suggested to us by our enemy as the means to our satisfaction. But what Jesus demonstrates in the desert is that they aren't. We can't be satisfied by those things. Jesus fasts, friends, not from duty, but from love. If you want to understand why he's doing this, it's kind of like the spirit of a husband or a wife that saves up to buy their, their maid an anniversary or a Valentine's present. You don't deny yourself by saving up money just as a duty. You do it out of love. You do it in order to experience and encounter the other person. This watch that I wear, actually, Rhonda bought me about 10 years ago for an anniversary, and she saved up for most of a year to buy it. And then she bought it for me, which created this perpetual fear that I'm going to lose it somewhere for the rest of my life. But, but she, she denied herself for a whole year in, in order to experience something. And, and God wants us to understand that our appetites are like that. There's a time for them to be denied. And when we deny them, we discover there's more going on than just physical stuff. If you never deny yourself, if you never fast, you'll never understand that your appetites are linked to spiritual things. But when you do, then you do. I always remember the first time I fasted. I was a young believer. I was in the Navy at the time and worked at the hospital over in Bremerton. I, my office was on the sixth floor. It was the first time in my life that I ever said, I'm not going to give in to my desire to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner for this one day. I'm just going to fast because Christians do that as part of our learning that was the first day I'd ever done that in my entire life. And I'll never forget, it got to lunchtime. Keep in mind, I'm on the sixth floor. And at lunchtime, I could clearly smell the menu in the cafeteria on the first floor, even though I was on the sixth. It's like, wow, what power that has. And then throughout the day, all I could think about was food. I got home that night, and it was worse. All I could, thought, whoa, I didn't know this power was in my life. But then I began to understand it. And that's what Jesus is doing in the desert here. He's grasping that. And he's, he's demonstrating that those impulses, your impulses, my impulses, are not always meant to be fulfilled. You know, we recognize that sometimes. All of us feel it when we are at a stoplight and the light turns green and the purple person in front of us is texting. And we experience this impulse to smash our car into the back of their car and to get them going or to lay on the horn. I experience that. 
and it's a dumb impulse because I drive a Mini Cooper. If I smash into the car in front of me, it's not going to be good, right? And yet that impulse is there. And Jesus' experience in the desert is meant for us to understand that our appetites are not meant to define us. And that gets real deep and serious sometimes. Maybe the devil is tempting you to give in to one of your appetites. God says, hey, stop, think, realize that no appetite can ever satisfy your soul. Man doesn't live by bread alone, just by being fulfilled in what we crave. No, no, no. We live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus demonstrates that. He says, okay, I'm going to turn away from that. I have a dear friend, I've known him for decades, who wrestles daily with a profound thirst for alcohol. But for more than 25 years now, he's been saying no to that thirst because he's learned that it's a lie. And he's not missing out on life because he's denying his appetite. He's finding it. He's learned to be a dad and a husband and a father because he's suppressed his appetite. In the same way, God may be calling you to suppress some of your appetites because in doing that, we find satisfaction for our souls. Jesus says this is the way forward. This is how we do it. Now, don't misunderstand, church. Uh, our appetites aren't wrong in themselves, but they're not meant to control us. And that's what Jesus, humanly speaking, is learning in the desert. That's why God led him there, to learn that. He wants you and me to learn the same thing. Now there's a, a second temptation, and it comes up almost immediately after the first one, when Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be ruled by my appetites. Then the devil ups the ante. There's three temptations. The second one is a little more intense. goes a little deeper. The Bible says that the devil led him up to a high place, Luke chapter 4, verse 5, and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. You can make whatever laws you want. You can control whatever those uh, rules are. You can have power over all of the world. For it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. And if you worship me, it'll all be yours. Worship. If you ascribe value and worth to control above all else. I'll give it to you. You want to run the government? I can put you in charge of the government. And Jesus, hearing that, doesn't say, yay, that's what I've wanted all along. That's the way forward. Instead, he says the exact opposite. The Lord responded and said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, church, what the devil was offering Jesus in this moment was control over the world's governments in order to save the world. But Jesus turned it down because he knew you can't save the world from the outside in. You have to save it from the inside out. Christians participate in politics, but we know it's not the answer. We know it can never achieve God's will in the world. No matter what we do here on earth, we can't achieve that. We know that his kingdom is from within. And so we don't seek to save the country. We seek to save people. Because when the people are saved, then the culture changes. When the people are saved, then the country is redeemed. And just like Jesus, we refuse that idea that it's all about the politics. And instead we say, no, 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 no. It's about leading my neighbor, my brother, my enemy, 
my friend to faith in Jesus. This is a big deal. And it doesn't just have to do with government. This same temptation is in our workplaces and our families and our friendships and our schools. We think to ourselves, if I can just get control of this, then I can make it what it's supposed to be. And God says, no, it's not in gaining control over the situation. It's in me controlling your heart. It's in me owning your attitude and your motivations and your privileges. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come. We're not asking for a new administration in the world. We're asking God to rule us. Let your kingdom come over me, O Lord. Jesus faced that temptation in the desert, and he said, oh, what I need is what the Scripture calls self-control. I need God to rule me so that then I can be part of saving the world. The great German philosopher Helmut Thielicke put it this way. He said, we must understand that the true power of temptation lies not in its appeal to our base instincts, but in its appeal to our idealism. Because we think if I can just get control, I can make it the way it's supposed to be. God says, no, no, no. You've got to invite people to experience me and let my kingdom come into their hearts. That's where it's at. The devil wants you to think, that the answer to all your problems is more power and control. But the truth is that it's submitting to God's way and doing things his way that's the only way forward. Now, I pastored, Ron and I did for seven years in a college town, Moscow, Idaho. You got the University of Idaho. You got Washington State University six miles away. So you got wall-to-wall college students. And when you're in a community like that, you see this clear as a bell. Because every fall, hordes of freshmen swarm into town. And some of them come from families that have tightly and closely controlled every aspect of their lives. And they get out on their own in this college town and they go bananas. All restraints are off. Now suddenly, you know, they're just going nuts. They're going crazy. And there's a lot of tragedy and there's a lot of heartache and there's a lot of sadness, a lot of sin that flows out of that. But at the same time, then you see other young adults in every class that comes to town. And they come from families where their parents said, hey, I want you to learn how to experience God for yourself. I want you to know Jesus for yourself. I want you to deal with the questions and the answers that are part of growing up in God yourself. I want you to have a faith of your own. Those students come to town and they're like, college campus is no problem at all because their faith is so strong. It's come from the inside out. Jesus knew that's the only way it could work. So he said, hey, I don't know. I don't need more power and control over the world. Instead, I need to walk in God's way, preaching his gospel, sharing his truth, inviting people to know him as their father. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote about this powerfully in Mere Christianity. I'll just leave this briefly with you, but it's worth deep thought. He said, you know, according to the world's way of thinking, nations and causes and movements and institutions last longer than people. So it makes sense to sacrifice people for a cause or an institution or, you know, a nation. It, It makes sense to do that. But God says it's exactly the opposite. The nations only last a little while. The movements, the causes only last 100 years or so, 200 years maybe. But every single human being lasts forever, eternal. And so to change one heart is infinitely more significant than changing everything else in the world. Jesus knew that. You ever wondered why he spent his whole life wandering around a few small towns in the backside of nowhere? The equivalent of Carbonado. Have you ever wondered about that before? because he knew. And, but look what happened. 
that kingdom grew in a few hearts. Now there's a billion of us doing this communion thing all over the planet and a whole lot of other things. Yeah. So Jesus rejected the temptation. I wonder if God isn't calling you to say, you know what? I don't need more control over my wife, over my husband, <laughs> over my work situation, over my school. I don't need control over my government. What I need is God's control over me. As we seek that, oh man, oh man. Jesus knew it. He said, you know what, that's what I want. The last temptation, the third one the devil brings, the last one we're going to talk about this morning, really takes it up another notch too. And this one is aimed squarely at those of us who pass the first two, who say, you know what, I'm not defined by my appetites, and I'm not seeking control over everything. Then the devil comes, and he does something very insidious. He tempts us, to use God for our agenda. Listen to what he says, verse 9 of chapter 4 of Luke. The devil then led Jesus to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple, the religious spiritual center of the city. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, and by the way, don't have time to get into this, but if isn't questioning whether he is, he's saying, since you have this power, use it this way. It's, it's kind of a complex, hard to translate into English, but that's the idea. Since you're the son of God, you have this power, use it this way. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, the top of the temple, about 10 stories up. Throw yourself down from here, for it's written, he will command, now he's quoting the Bible, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. In other words, he tempts Jesus, catch this, friends, to take one piece of God's word, one verse, separate it from all the rest, and act as if that's the only truth that's there. Instead of listening to everything God says in context. It's like what unscrupulous reporters do in an interview, right? They spend an hour interviewing somebody, and then at the end, they take two things that person said and make it sound like that's all they said. We, we hate that. In the same way, God dislikes it when we do that to him. We just grab one or two verses and separate. Hey, notice something. In each of these three temptations, Jesus responds by saying, the Bible also says, <laughs> the Bible also says, and he does that again here. He says, the devil quotes to him from the psalm. And, and Jesus says, hey, you know what? It also says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, don't use God for your own agenda. That temptation is there for all of us. And, and, and it, the, this first front end of it is kind of lazy and, 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 you know, simple in the sense that we just grab one verse and separate it from all the rest, pretend like that's all God said. Don't do that. But then the second part of it, is even deeper. See, from the very beginning, here's, here's the devil's game, and we're almost done this morning. Here, here's what he wants to do with you and, and with me. He wants to get us to believe or think that God has promised something he hasn't because then when that doesn't come true, guess who we're mad at? So he says to Jesus, hey, God said that if you throw yourself off the temple... <laughs> You know, the angels are going to intervene and you're not going to fall to the ground. Jesus says, yeah, but it also says I'm not supposed to put him to the test. So if in his plan and his agenda I find myself in that situation, I'm going to stand on his word. But I'm not going to play a game where he's my vending machine to get miracles. I'm not going to do that. He says, it says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, I'm not here to be used, uh, to use God. I'm here to be used by God. 
Let me say that again. Jesus says, you know what? I'm not here to use God. I'm here to be used by God. When you come to the place where you say that, now, now you're growing up. Now you're turning into a saint, whether you want to or not. Thank heavens we'll never turn into 49ers, but we will turn into saints someday, <laughs> right? And, and, and it happens when we say, and God, what do you want? L listen, church, this is where the Lord wants to take us, to the point where we say, God, it's not about what I want. It's what do you want? Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he went to the cross later that night of communion? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he got down on his knees, and I'm going to paraphrase. He said, you know, I've been seeing guys go to crosses my whole life here. That doesn't look like fun. God, I'd, I'd really rather not do that. Can, can this cup pass for me? Can we go with plan B here on this whole salvation thing, and we'll just skip the cross part, and we'll do something else? We'll do a virtual cross. We'll do an Internet thing where it's just, you know, pretend. And then he says something profound. He says, nevertheless... Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. God, I, this is less about what I want than about what you want. And the temptation to make it about what I want is always there. Can I be very, very personal with you? We're almost done. You know, as a young pastor, when I first started out and, and we served a church, we had been the youth pastor. The pastor went into moral failure. It was a horrible uh, mess. And then he left, and, and they asked me to lead, and um, boy, it was a wounded bunch of people and a lot of hurt, and um, it was hard. And I gave it everything I had, and God was faithful and blessed the church, and it turned around, but it took a toll on me. And after about two and a half years, I, I was just in my 20s, and I suffered a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, I had a stress-related heart attack. You don't think that's real. It actually happens. And so I suffered that, and, and then in the wake of that, you know, I stepped back for a while actually left the ministry for about 10 months. And during that time, my heart was hurting. Oh, God, how could this happen? This is awful. This wasn't the plan. Why did this take place? And keep in mind, the church was blessed and recovered and grew and went on, and they, they didn't want us to go anywhere. But because of the toll that it took on me, we had stepped back. And I remember one afternoon sitting in my car at the job that I had. Then I worked for Parkland Chevrolet out here as a service writer just not far from here. And sitting in my car one day eating my Subway sandwich and feeling this ache of what had happened. And I remember saying to God, God, how could you let this happen? I gave you everything. And you promised me that if I worked hard, it would always work out. And like a thunderbolt, the Holy Spirit spoke in that moment. You know what he said? He said, no, I didn't. <laughs> I never promised you that. That's good old American pull yourself up by the bootstraps work ethic is what that is. And it's not a bad thing. But I never made you that promise. And I remember sitting in my car going, oh, my goodness. You're right. You never promised me that. And he said, here's what I promised you, Greg. I promised you a cross. I promised you a cross. I promised you a lifetime of denying yourself. I promised you that you would suffer and die from that. And then he said, oh, and by the way, I also promised you eternal life forever in my house with everything you've ever wanted. Not a bad deal when you think about it. And I only share that story for this reason, friends. At that point, I said, okay, God, for the rest of the way, it's about what you want, not what I want. Because what you promised me is so awesome. Why would I get hung up on these fake promises?
you've told me that in this world I'll have trouble, but you've overcome the world. I'm standing on that. I'm going all the way home with that. And, and that's what happened to Jesus in the desert. And that's what our Father wants us to understand as well. Your appetites aren't who you are. Your cravings, your impulses, your feelings, they're not to be obeyed always. Sometimes they're to be denied. And then second of all, what you don't need is more control over everything. I don't know. Sometimes the key to parenting is having a little less control and doing some teaching instead or some inspiring or some example making. And then, and then he says, hey, remember, Greg, I'm not here to, to follow your agenda. I'm inviting you to follow mine. I'm not here to be used by you. I'm here to bless you and make you a blessing and to use you. See, that's what the desert was all about. And that's why God led Jesus into it. Because once he went through that, his heart was settled. You know, from that day to this one, I've never struggled. Not like that. No. Nope. From that day to this one, I'm like, okay, I get it, God. This is a great deal. I'm in 100%. Your way all the way to the end. There's such peace in that. Jesus left the desert ready to follow God's agenda. And he wants that for all of us. He wants that for you and for me as well. So again, what does the scripture say? Let's finish there. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance will fin must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, so that you may know what you know that you know about the Father and about where you stand in his heart and in forever. We consider it pure joy when we go into the desert. And, and can I leave you with one last thing? You know, Jesus goes into the desert because he's our example, our older brother, because he's the firstborn son of God, as the scripture says. He goes into the desert and he passes all the temptations. None of them get him. And we can learn from that. But at the same time, sometimes we don't pass our temptations. We fall short. We don't deny our appetites. We do reach for control. We do try to use God instead of letting God use us. Sometimes we fail at those temptations, but church is in that moment that we learn who he is most of all. Scripture tells us in John chapter 8 about a woman who failed in a moment of temptation. Her, her hunger, her craving for attention, for intimacy, for what she thought would satisfy her led her to violate maybe her own marriage, but for sure another marriage. She was caught in the act of it. Suddenly everybody knew and it was horrifying. She was dragged in front of Jesus, you know, the one who never gave in to temptation. And it would have been easy for her to expect him to condemn her, but the Bible says he didn't. He said, no, I'm your Savior. I'm not condemning you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Learn from this. Realize that your appetites can't satisfy you. Realize that control can't satisfy you. Realize that you can't be satisfied by having your way as much as you can and will by having God's way. He says, so learn from this. But know that I don't condemn you. And God wants you to know him that way. So as we go out into the desert and we sometimes fail, realize this. God says, okay, let's learn from this. Let's get up and go again. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. Father, we thank you for your word today.
We thank you for this example. Uh, for these lessons, Lord, how, how much we need to learn that what we think we want won't really satisfy us. But when you teach us what we really want, then, then we'll find it. Uh, Lord, we thank you for showing us how these temptations are lies, for inviting us to rise above them. And Lord, for being our Savior when we fail. Now I pray for every person in this room right now feeling that they have failed their test. Help them to know that you invite them to take it again. Because the point of taking tests isn't failing, it's graduating and moving on. Some of us need to set aside our appetites. Some of us need to set aside our craving for control. Some of us need to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Help us to do that this morning. We pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Yep. Uh, thanks for being the family of God. Every time you worship, you encourage everybody around you, and it makes a difference. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this day. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.